The popular author Max Licato wrote this on an airplane. People on a plane and people in a pew have a whole lot in common. All of them are on a journey. Most are well-behaved and most of them are presentable. Some doze and others gaze out the windows. Most, if not all, are satisfied with a predictable experience. For most, the mark of a good flight and the mark of a good worship assembly are the exact same. Nice, we like to say. It was a nice flight. It was a nice church service. We exit the same way we enter, and we're happy to return the next time. A few, however, are not content with just nice. They long for something more. The boy who just passed before me did. I heard him before I even saw him. I was already sitting in my seat when I heard him ask, Will they really let me see the pilot? He was either a lucky little boy or he was very shrewd because he made this request just as he entered the airplane. The question floated into the cockpit, causing the pilot to stick his head out. Someone looking for me? The pilot asked. The boy's hand shot up like he was answering a classroom question. I am, he said. Well, then come on in, answered the pilot. With a nod from his mom, the youngster entered the cockpit's world of controls and gauges, and he emerged minutes later with eyes wide. Wow, he exclaimed. I am so glad to be on this plane. No one else's face showed such wonder. I should know. I paid careful attention. The boy's interest piqued mine, and so I then began to study the faces of all the other passengers, but I found none with that type of enthusiasm. I mostly saw contentment. Travelers content to be on the plane, content to be a little closer to their destination, content to be out of the airport, content to sit, content to stare, content to say very little at all. There were a few exceptions. The five or so middle-aged women wearing straw hats and carrying beach bags, they were not content. They were exuberant. They giggled all the way down the aisle. I'm pretty sure they were moms set free from weekends of kitchens and kids. This fellow in a blue suit, he sat across the aisle and he was not content. He was cranky. He opened up his laptop and he scowled at his screen for the entire flight. Most of us, however... We were happier than he was, but we were more contained than those ladies. Most of us were content. Content with a predictable, uneventful flight. Content, and kind of hoping, for a nice flight. And since that is what we sought, that is exactly what we got. The little boy, on the other hand, oh, he wanted more. He wanted to see the pilot. And if he was ever asked to describe that flight... He wouldn't say it was nice. He'd likely produce the plastic wings that the pilot gave him. His face would shine and he would say, I saw the man up front. Do you see what I mean? How people on a plane and people in a pew have a whole lot in common? You can enter any church sanctuary and look at all the faces. A few of them are giggly. A few of them are cranky. But by and large, all those faces are content. Content to be there, content to sit and look straight ahead, and to leave fairly quickly when the service is over. 
content to enjoy an assembly with no surprises, no turbulence, content with a nice service. Seek and you will find. That's what Jesus promised. And since a nice service is what most of us seek, a nice service is usually what we will find. A few, however, seek more. A few come with the childlike enthusiasm of that little boy I saw. And those few will leave as he did, wide-eyed with wonder, after having stood in the very presence of the pilot himself. I like that reading, and that reading sets up a question for us as we begin this morning. Are you content? Are you content with the nice service, or do you come here this morning seeking more? Are we okay today of just going through the regular motions we do every Sunday, or do we come here seeking to stand in the presence of God? The story we're going to look at today is a story in which Jesus actually sought more. Let me give you the context of the story. Uh, On one side of this mountain is the confession of Peter that Jesus is the Son of God. That changes everything. Jesus can no longer go incognito. He can no longer go under the radar. It's now going to be known. He's not going to tell people to stay quiet about it. It's going to be known that he is the Son of God. And then the other side of this mountain is the cross. As soon as Jesus comes down from this mountain, he sets his face toward Jerusalem. And so between the confession and the cross, Jesus needs a moment to stand with his friends in the presence of God. He wants to stand in a worship assembly in the presence of God. And so that brings us to the story that we call the story of the Mount of Transfiguration. Now, normally when we look at this story or preach on this story, we think about it from the disciples' point of view. But this morning, I want you to think of it from Jesus' point of view. So so listen from Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 8. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother James, and, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before him, His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Luke would add to us that this happens while Jesus is praying. He's standing in the presence of God, and he begins to reflect the glory of God. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah, talking with Jesus. Uh, Peter said to the Lord, Lord, it's good for us to be here if you wish. I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. Listen to him. You see, Peter's listening to other voices when it comes to Jesus. He rebukes Jesus just a few verses earlier when Jesus says he's going to a cross. And now God brings him to say, you need to listen to Jesus. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. My friends, as we go to this service today, I pray we're going to see Jesus. 
So how do we get beyond just nice worship services? I want to use the word depth as an acronym for you to fill in. And I've added a few E's just to give me a little bit of help here, all right? So please uh, go ahead and take your outline out. If you would fill this out and let's do some things real practically. Now I'm going to go pretty fast because I want us to have plenty of time to actually praise God in song in just a few moments. But um, right along with me as we go. First of all, what do we learn from Jesus? Jesus made a decision. Uh, This was not a spur of the moment thing. Jesus had to interrupt his schedule to go to this mountain to be with God. And if we're going to worship, my friends, we've got to make a decision that we won't like Jesus to stand with our friends in the presence of God. And that calls for us to make a decision that says, you know what, I'm going to interrupt my schedule. In fact, this is worth me interrupting other things in my life to do because it's so important. Can I ask you, have you made that decision about Sundays? Don't raise your hand. How many of you today had to have a discussion, either today or maybe last night, about whether you were coming or not? You had to have that discussion. Let me say, if you're having to have that discussion, you've not made the decision you need to make. It's been interesting this spring, as rainy a spring as we've had, to notice how much bearing the rain actually has on our attendance. Which says to me, obviously, many of us have to make a discussion, have a discussion about whether we're coming or not. So you make a decision. Jesus made a decision. You know what? I'm going to stop the miracles right now. I'm not going to do any public teaching because, you know what? I'm about to face a difficulty and I need some time with my friends in the presence of God. Now, the next word we're going to look at, so you can go a little bit down on your, on your acronym, is the word preparation. For Jesus to make this journey, he had to prepare to be there. And so Jesus has to prepare not just physically to go up on this mountain with his friends, but he also prepares his hearts. And I challenge us as we come to a worship assembly. And I hope you'll notice today, there's a difference in in just talking about worship here today and talking about a worship assembly. You can worship every day of the week, anywhere, anytime, right? But a worship assembly is when we purposely gather together with our friends. Now, Now, Jesus prepares for this. I ask you, Do you prepare for this? Here's some real practical suggestions. Do you get enough rest on Saturday night? I mean, I I think there's something to say. You know what? I know tomorrow I want to be at my best. I'm going to get some rest. I'm going to go ahead. This is just an old-fashioned practical deal. I'm going to lay my clothes out on Saturday night. How many of you did that last night? All right. I mean, can you imagine how much easier it is, especially if you've got small kids, if on Saturday night you go ahead and lay everybody's clothes out, then you have everything ready. Because what happens on so many Sunday mornings, because it's a little bit different schedule, we're off schedule. And so, so often, because we're not prepared and everything laid out, we, 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 we're leaving late. And uh, what happens when we're leaving late? Sometimes dad's not very happy about it, Right? You ever made that mistake of being out in the driveway and honking your horn? That causes for a great discussion on the way to church. I've been there before, all right? I mean, it just doesn't work very well. And how many of us on the way to church, because we're not prepared and not have our stuff together, we get in some kind of argument? And here's the challenge is, how do you flip the switch? I mean, you're arguing about things, you're all mad at each other, then all of a sudden you've got to go greet somebody like you like them, right? 
And, and then you've got to flip the switch and, and stand in the presence of God and worship Him. So spend some time in preparation, getting things ready. I'm, I'm telling you, nothing more important than praying about what's going to happen here at this building. And in your hearts, one of the best things to do with your kids on the way to church is just pray together. Don't argue, don't fuss, just pray and, and, and ask God to show up. And that brings us to the E, the first E, which is expectation. After we've prayed about it, we expect God to be here in a special way with us. And, and like Lakato says, you get what you expect. It's pretty fascinating to me. About three weeks ago, I talked to two friends after one of our worship assemblies. One friend came to me and said, it was absolutely awesome. I mean, I was so touched by God in that assembly. It helped me so much. And then a couple of days later, I talked to a friend who said, things were just dead in that assembly. I don't know what was going on that Sunday, but it was dead. Because what, what's the difference between, uh, you know, someone who walks in and is like, man, I was just filled with the presence of God and so excited. And, and someone who goes, I went to the same place, the same things happened. A lot of it has to do with our heart. And a lot of it has to do with our expectation. Do we really believe that something special can happen in the presence of God? Do we expect to meet God in a special way? Do we expect for lives to be changed? Do we expect for our life to be changed? You see, when we come with that expectation, when we come with a prayer on our lips, God, how about if you pray this on Sunday? Lord, would you surprise me today? Would you do something that's not just nice, not just ordinary in this assembly, but something that would actually surprise me and change me? And so you come into the presence of God with expectation. And that brings us to the next letter, which is the H, which is head, heart, and hands. You see, my favorite definition of worship is that worship is a response of all that I am to all that he is. When we assemble together, it ought to affect our intellect. We ought to learn something. It ought to touch our emotions. We ought to feel something. And we ought to respond with our body to God. Now, I know that brings us into a lot of debate and a lot of personal preference issues about do you sit, do you stand, do you kneel? Do you raise your hands or do you keep them stuck on your laps? Do you clap or do you not clap? And listen to me. I don't think the issue is whether you clap or not clap or raise your hands or don't raise your hands. I think the issue is responsiveness. How can you stand in the presence of God and not respond? Now, we're all wired different, so we respond differently. But many of us are what I would call, we're part of the frozen chosen. I mean, we, we, we just sit here frozen, scared to death, you know. I dare you. And, and we even make comments like this. Well, I would never do that. Um, they might clap or they might raise their hands or that person might fall on their face before God. But I would never do that. Let me tell you, you need to be careful making that statement because one day you will fall on your face before God. It's going to happen. So don't say never. I'm just saying in whatever way God calls you and wires you, 
I'm going to tell you, there's something, you know this, maybe you're in a tragedy in your life and you walk in your room and you don't know what to do and you fall on your knees before God and you pray. There's something about bodily posture and your heart posture that connects. And when you come in here, let me say, there's something about responding with your entire being, your intellect, your emotions, your physicality to the very presence of God. Let let me say this. It's a whole lot more biblical to respond extravagantly than to sit coldly. I've heard too many people argue that's more biblical. To be in the presence of God and not respond To be in the presence of God and act like nothing's going on? Oh, please, give me a break. That can't be right. Again, we'll all do it differently. But we respond. And as we sing in a few moments, respond to the greatness of God. Let me give you a couple more words here. Encouragement. Our definition was that Jesus chose to stand with his friends in the presence of God. Jesus could have worshipped alone. You could have this morning. You could have worshipped alone in your closet all by yourself. Some of you are thinking, well, what am I doing here? But Jesus knew he needed to be with some folks. And so God gave him Moses and Elijah. I love what uh, some of the other gospels say. Moses and Elijah, they talk with Jesus about his departure. He's between the confession and the cross, and Moses and Elijah come together to encourage Jesus about what's about to happen, to buck him up. He took Peter, James, and John with him, but like many of us, he fell asleep. They fell asleep. What did he need, man? He needed to be with people. And guys, when we come together in a worship assembly, God said this is important to us because we need to be together. And if you think just walking in and out of here as quick as you can without having to be in any kind of conversation is going to fulfill God's expectation for you, then you haven't read the Bible about what's expected in this assembly. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 10, the famous verse that tells us we need to go to church... What he really says is not just go to church, but when you go to church, make sure when you get there, you encourage somebody. You spur somebody on. We're here for encouragement, and sort of a sidelight is the next one is evangelism. I mean, what happens when non-believers come in our presence and they watch us worship? 1 Corinthians 14, the assembly is so intense that the non-believers fall down themselves and worship God, declaring God is among you. I ask you, if a non-believer sat beside you this morning, would they know that you know God? Would they see it in your face? Would they hear it in your voice? Would they pick up that something's going on here so special that you truly believe that God is alive? What do they think when our mouths are closed? What do they think when we look bored out of our mind? And guys, listen to me. In the Church of Christ tradition, this is even more important. Because one of the great things about our tradition is congregational a cappella singing. We don't have all the stuff for the big show. 
And so it's even more important that we're participating. That's the strength, that, that you come into this kind of assembly and it, and it begs for you to participate. And it's not going to be what it could be unless you do participate. And let me tell you, people are going to watch us. And the question is, man, are they going to pick up that we're excited about God? That we're excited about being together? Would a non-believer come in our midst and say, you know, I'm not so sure, but obviously these people are sold out to their God? Let me get a little more personal here. Your children that sit on the bench with you, can they sense that you're all about God this morning? Can they sense mom and dad are into what happens in the assembly because they really feel the presence of God? And that brings us to one more word, and that's the word transformation. When Jesus walked off that mountain, his face glows. That's what we see in Scripture. When Moses goes on that mountain, he's transformed. And guys, we know that we too will be transformed. It shows up on your face. Your face is important because it's the most exposed part of your body. It's what everybody sees. It's also the most memorable, right? If you go back to look at your high school yearbook, what are the pictures of? Your face. Anybody have a high school yearbook where there are pictures of your feet? Your knees? <laughs> well, that's crazy. What's just a part of your body like your face? Why? Because your face not only is the most exposed part, it's the most memorable part, and it actually communicates the most. And, and, and the challenge for us is by the time we leave here, do our faces reflect the glory of the Lord? The joy of the Lord. When you show up at work on Monday or show up at your school on Monday, do people begin to ask, you know, what, you know, what went on this weekend with you? I mean, you, you look so joyful. Was it an awesome party? Did the Braves win? I mean, you look so happy. Wouldn't you love to say, you know what, man? I am so happy today because I went to this worship assembly yesterday and I stood with my friends in the presence of God and it transformed me. That's why I'm happy. That's why you see it on my face. You see, that's the goal. I don't know how you walk in here. We walk in here with all kinds of burdens and issues in our life. But the cool thing is when we walk out of here with a transformed face because of what we have done together, Let's look at two scriptures, then we'll start worshiping. Let's go back to our theme scripture for this um, series, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the Lord's glory. And the Lord who is the Spirit makes us more and more like Him as we are changed in His glorious image. My friends, there's nothing more transforming than worship. Nothing should change us any more than standing in the presence of God together. What is worship? Look at David's definition, Psalm 34, verse 3. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. You notice he said, let's do it together. It's an assembly. And what do we do? We magnify. Well, what's the word magnify? It means to enlarge. Now, listen, let's be honest here. We can't make God any bigger than he is, can we? We, we can't enlarge God. So, so what's he saying here? What happens in worship is that we enlarge our vision of God. 
That when we come here and we take a time out in our busy schedule and we focus on God, we enlarge our perception of Him. And guys, as He becomes bigger, here's the really cool things. A lot of other things become smaller. Maybe you come into this assembly this morning and you got some big problems or some big issues or some big worries. I'm sure many of us do. You know what will help you more than anything else? Is to magnify God and recognize to God in the middle of all that, we have a big God. So what are we going to do this morning? Just what Jesus did. We're going to stand with some friends in the presence of God. Will you go ahead and stand up? Just stand up. I want, you just to, I want you just to contemplate just for a moment the presence of God. I want you to think of the characteristics of God that stand out in your mind. I want you to think of the holiness of God, that He's so other, He's so above, He's so different, He's so perfect. I want you to stand in the presence of God this morning and remember what he has done for you through Jesus. And acknowledge that he's moved into your heart through the Holy Spirit. And now, we respond. Let's worship with our friends in the presence of God and be transformed. Here's the good news this morning is uh, you prepare to, to leave this place to go out about your week. Uh, here's the great news is that our, our worship does not stop here. Um, uh, some of us grew up in a tradition where worship was defined by a closing prayer. And when the closing prayer happened, all kinds of crazy things could happen that we didn't think were all right before the closing prayer. But if you got the prayer in, worship was over. I want to tell you, that's not a biblical idea. The idea is that, yes, we may assemble to worship, but we also leave to worship. I want you to know this morning and understand that your service is worship. What you do out there in the name of Jesus is just as much worship as what you do here. Jesus lived that way. John 17, verse 4, he says to his father in prayer, I've brought you glory on earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do. When he finished God's work, he brought glory to God. He brought worship to God. He magnified God. And we as his creation, when we do what he has called us to do, it brings worship. Can you imagine if one of you was a great inventor, a great creator, and you were able to create a machine that in an entire city could take the humidity out of the air? Would that be awesome or what? If you could take the humidity, wouldn't that be incredible? It would be even more incredible as if you took the machine and it actually worked. And people would praise you, not just because you had a machine, but because it did it. And when we go out and we live in the name of Jesus and fulfill his mission in our life, it brings glory to him. It brings worship. Look at this passage, Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual 
act of worship. Wow! You don't have to stop worshiping. This whole verse is full of worship language, offering, sacrifices. And Paul's saying in the New Covenant, it's not some lamb on an altar. It's you putting your body on the altar, you surrendering your life to go out and to live the purposes of God. And as you do that, you worship God. Uh, Look at the way the message translation puts this. I love this. So here's Paul says, what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. So years ago, a lot of our churches used to put these signs up. They were pretty cool signs. Sometimes they were at the edge of a parking lot. Enter to worship, leave to serve. And that, that sounded good, but I'd propose to you today that it would be more pleasing to God if we had put a sign up that said, enter to worship, leave to worship. That your life, as you live, is a living sacrifice. Your everyday, ordinary life becomes a worship to God. Back in that Romans 12 passage, the word there for offer is, is about a, a verb that's a point of action. It's a, a place where you make a decision that you are offering your life as a sacrifice to God. And there might be some folks here today that you're ready to surrender your life to Jesus and live for him. Or maybe there's some of us that, you know what? The problem with this sacrifice is that it's a living sacrifice, right? And so we're tempted to get up off the altar and go back about our selfish lives And maybe today's the day when you need to recommit yourself to a surrendered life of worship. So that when you leave here, it doesn't end. It just begins. If you need our prayers today, why don't you come while we stand together and sing?